You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, good to be with you this morning. This kind of completes a cycle for me. I preached here at Foothills when we were in the school. Uh, I preached when we were in the, the bowling alley. I preached when we had the services over in what the, the children's area. And now I get to to share here in this great facility. And you know what I learned from that? All right, thank you. And you know what I've learned through the years watching this take place? There's some generous people in this church. Well, you didn't get here without somebody giving a whole lot of sacrifice uh, in a lot of different ways to be able to, to get you uh, to this place. And one of those is James Swanson. And I know this is his last day. I, re- I remember James coming to Grace as an intern, a music intern for the summer. And we were so impressed with him. And, uh, and uh, he, he did such a great job for us that we brought him on as an associate and, and watching him grow. Uh, and and seeing how he how freely he gave his his gifts, how generously he was in giving his gifts and his commitment uh, to the church and to the Lord, and and so uh, it's it's good that I'm talking about generosity today, uh, and so I want to share that with you because it's so important. Because you would not be here where you are today if if you had not been following some generous people in this whole process. You will not get where you're supposed to go or where God wants to take you in the years to come unless there are generous people in this building right now and more to come. So if you want to be the, want the blessing of God on your life, if you want the power of God in your life, uh, if you want the anointing of God throughout your life, then you must build your life on three foundational characteristics. If you want what God wants for you, you need to have these three characteristics in your life. One is integrity. Be true to who you say you are. Integrity. The other is humility. And the other one is generosity. If you want what God wants for you, then those are the three characteristics you're going to have to put into your life. You're going to have to be able to build them, fashion them, but make sure that they are there and keep up with them uh, if you're going to be able to be what God wants you to be. If you want the abundant life that God wants for you, then you have to have integrity. You have to have humility. And you must have generosity. Why? Well, there are three great temptations everybody faces here. We're all the same. You know, there's no difference. Jesus said, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all ways just like we are. All right. And so there are three great temptations in life. And according to 1 John 2, 16, for everything in the world, that's all the temptations he's talking about. All the temptations in the world, he said, I'm going to put them into three, three different ones, three different categories. One, the lust of the flesh. Two, the lust of the eyes. And three, the pride of life. He says, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And by, by the world, he means Satan, who is the prince of this world, and also the people who he gets to do his bidding uh, along the way. Uh, the lust of the flesh, 
That's the desire for the physical pleasures in life, the food, the drink, sex, those kinds of things that, uh, that are there. The lust of the eyes, that's your desire for material things. You don't want a new Lexus, do you? You don't, you don't desire new Cadillac. You don't want any of those things. No. But it, that's the, the lust of, of, the, of the eyes. Uh, and then there's the pride of life. That's your desire for power. That, that's where you want to feel like you're superior to everybody else around you, or at least some people in particular. I don't have time to deal with all three of those qualities today. Maybe you can talk Trent into letting me come back again in the future. I'm, but we'll see about that. But I want to talk to you and focus on generosity today because that's where the church is. That's what you need to understand. I, I want to begin by asking you a basic question that you need to answer today. I want you to answer today. If not, then, then you're not going to be able to be there. The question is, are you a generous person? Are you a generous person? If you're not a generous person, I tell you, you're going to be struggling with those three temptations. You're going, to, you're, going to have, you're going to have difficulties. They're going to cause you problems. Uh, you're going to face some things that you wouldn't have to face if you, if you could, could uh, deal with it properly and become a generous person. And when I say generous, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about are you generous with your time, with your energy, with your talents, with your gifts, as well as your money. Because all of those things are your possessions, and all of those things and more God wants to use in your life to be able to draw people to him. Uh, So all of those things you have to be generous with. Let me start off with number one. Generosity is love in action. It is love in action. God is love, right? And so if God is love, then God in action is in actions that we, we take. Because he's the one that motivates us. There there are more promises in the Bible about generosity than anything else. That's because generosity is God's love in action through us. You cannot love without being generous. If you say you love your your wife, your husband, your your children, uh, your friend, and yet you're not generous with your time, your knowledge, your, your everything about you, you're not generous to them, you're not really in love with them. You don't really care that much for them. Love, some people are good people, but they're not generous people. They're nice people, but they're not generous people. They just kind of live for, for themselves. They've got their own little world, uh, you know, all, just, to, the, just us four and no more, and that's all they take care of. They're, they're not generous people. What many call love today is not, not really love. It's just lust. What's the difference between love and lust? Well, love gives and lust takes. Most of our popular songs, we say they're love songs. They're not love songs. They're lust songs. Uh, the one, remember, you make me feel like a natural woman. Well, how, how does she make him feel? She's not concerned about that, just concerned about how she feels about it. So all she's doing is taking and taking and taking and, and not talking or singing about giving. So it's not a love song. It's a lust song. Remember the one, the controversy this Christmas about uh, baby is cold outside, something like that? Uh, that's not a love song either. It's a lust song. She says, I, I really can't stay. Well, baby, it's cold outside. You don't need to go. And I, I've got to go away. No, baby, it's cold outside. I want to say, get out of her way. <laughs> Open the door. Help her go home. She wants to leave. She doesn't want to be there with you. 
But you see, it's the lust that takes. It's not the love that gives. And so he's only thinking about himself. He's not thinking about her or any, anything else. The word believe is mentioned 272 times in the Bible. So that means believe is a word we really need to understand and we need to study. Uh, the word love or prayer first is mentioned 371 times. The word love is mentioned 714 times. The, the word giving and being generous is mentioned 2,152 times in the Bible. You think God knows us? You think God has a little more emphasis on what he knows our, our weaknesses are? 16 of the 18 parables that Jesus taught were about giving, possessions, money, how to use them. One out of every 10 verses in the Bible is about giving. Why? Because God knows us. And he knows the temptation that, that we have for stuff and, and money and, and, and hoarding and, and taking care of ourselves and not worrying about anybody else and becoming selfish. He knows what our problem is. And so he, he, he's, he's going to be there and, and, and deal with us. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because God gives. Why does God give? Because he loves. And that's the connection. If you love, you will be a giver. You will be a generous giver. If you don't give, don't tell me, don't try to tell me that, that, that you're, you're, you love someone because love means you give. That's what it's all about. Everything you have in, in this life is a gift from God. The money in your pocket. The family sitting beside you. The clothes on your back. The very air that you're breathing in right now is a gift from God's love. Because he's a giver. And he's a generous giver. Every good and every perfect gift, James says, is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Unconditional love. He's not changing. He's going to continue to love you. He's going to continue to, to, to care for you. He's going to continue to, to stay after you. Uh, his love isn't going to change, but he wants you to learn that every good gift that you have comes down from him and belongs to him. You're never more like God than when you are giving generously to help others. So if generosity is love in action, then giving, giving generously is you acting like God. And giving whatever it is that you're able to give that will help somebody else. So generosity is love in action. Secondly, selfishness is the opposite of gener generosity. It's the opposite. Paul says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. You can see them in many people. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and, and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy. Fits of rage, self, selfish ambition? Are you kidding me? God is putting selfish ambition alongside on the level of debauchery and witchcraft and hatred and discord? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's what he says. God's word is putting selfish, greedy ambitions in the same category of all of those evil things. 
Let me show you why. You know why. What's, what are some of the first words that your, your, your children learned how to say? Tell me. No. Yeah, they learned how to say it right off the bat, didn't they? No. What, what's, what's another word? Mine. No, that's mine. Now, they, they, don't, they just say one word's all they need, and then they grab it, and they hold on to it. They don't care that you're the mother, you're the father. They don't care what's going on. No, no. You don't have to teach your children how to be selfish. Natural. It, it's, it's inside their hearts. It's that sinful, part of that sinful nature that is there where all we care about is what we want, and we're takers. Everyone's born a taker. And we want what we want when we want it. And if we don't get it, we'll whine, cry, or do a lot of other things to get it. A selfish heart is a part of the sinful nature. You don't have to teach them to do that. You have to teach your children how to what? Share. That's what kindergarten's all about, right? It is, you, you learn how to share in kindergarten, right? Right? Some people still, as adults, still acting like they flunked kindergarten. They, don't, they didn't learn how to share uh, along the way. And so uh, they have that, uh, have a, a huge, huge problem with sharing. Rick Warren tells the story of his friend Bob McEwen um, that, that is, is a good illustration of what I'm saying. He said, uh, Bob said that he took his son to McDonald's, and all of us have had this, right? We've taken our kids to McDonald's and uh, had him in the car seat, a little four-year-old, and uh, gave him about some French fries and gave him the French fries and then started back down the road toward home. And as they got down there, you can't ride in a car with a bag of French fries without wanting to taste one, right, from McDonald's. That's, that's true. So, and so he reached over and he grabbed a couple of them, and his son said, no, those are my fries. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah. We all have had, a lot of us have had that happen. I remember it. And so Bob, though, he, 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 he kind of took it to a whole new level. And he said, he, th he started thinking about three things that he should re do in response to his son's selfishness. And the first one, he, he thought, you know, I'm the source of those fries. I bought those fries. I gave those fries to him. Uh, he needs to understand that, that without me, he has no fries. Without me, he's hungry. And then he said, the second thing is, I could take those fries away from him. I could just reach over and just pull those away and put them in somewhere and say, all right, you'll get them later tonight maybe. And thirdly, he said, and really, I don't need his fries. I've still got money left. If I wanted to, I could go back to McDonald's right now. I could fill up the whole back seat with fries. I don't need that little boy's fries. I think that's a great illustration of why God wants all of us to be generous. He, he wants us to learn that God doesn't need our money or our talents, that he's the source of everything we have. Everything you have in your possession, everything you have in your life, you have received from God. It's a gift of God's love and, and God's grace. And he could take it away anytime he wanted to. Whatever you have now, you're not going to keep forever. I've learned that lesson in a hard way. You are all, life is a series of letting go. Whatever you have hold of, 
eventually you let go of. And so don't hold anything too tightly. Uh, or you may get hurt when God takes it away from you. It wasn't yours before you were born, and it won't be yours when you die. He just loaned it to you for a few years. You, you will repay every cent after you die. I'm going to leave to my kids exactly the same amount that John D. Rockefeller left to his kids. You know what that is? Everything I have. I'm not going to keep anything, and neither are you. We only are loaned it for a little while. If God wasn't a giver, you would have nothing, zero, zilch. And he can take it back anytime he wants to. He just wants you to learn how to be generous. He, he wants you to learn how to receive things and, and how, how to be his instrument and how to be able to share his love. He, he wants you to learn how to be generous so you can overcome your natural desire in life to, to be selfish and quit acting like a four-year-old. And thinking that somehow or another you deserve those fries and you earn those fries and you're going to keep those fries because it's not going to happen. The third thing I, I, I want you to see is that if God doesn't need your money, He doesn't need your money, He doesn't need your time, He doesn't need your talents in order to accomplish His will. If you don't want to be a part of what he's doing in this world, if you don't want to be a part of what he's doing in this church here at Foothills, he will find someone else who is willing to be a generous person, and they will get the blessing that you could have gotten. I've seen that happen so many times uh, in, in life. So many of God was working in such tremendous ways. And some people said, well, we don't want to give. We can't give. We don't, we're not able to give. They made some kind of excuse. And so they kind of backed away. And eventually some of them even left the church while other people stepped in. And God continued to bless and continued to bless and continued to bless. And those people missed that blessing and missed being a part of something that, that God was doing in, in his life. So the opposite of generosity is selfishness. And God's trying to get that out of you. He's trying to change you. He's trying to, still trying to teach you what your kindergarten teacher was trying to teach you, how to share what you have with those that are in need. And then thirdly, generosity is the cure for materialism. That's a rampant disease. I know today a lot of people are sick in Blunt County and Knox County around, a lot of stuff going around, uh, and that's true. But there also, there's another disease going around, and that's materialism. The Bible says it this way, Proverbs 23, uh, generosity is the cure for materialism. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself getting out, trying to get rich to get out. That's not the answer for what you think you've got the problem with. 1 Timothy 6, 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. If your desire is to be wealthy, your desire is to get money, to, to go after the American idol and grab hold of that money and, and hold on to it, if, if that's your desire, then you're falling into a temptation and a trap, and, and a trap is a temptation, and a temptation is a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wow. How many of you like to have nice things? You remember, you're in church. You're in church. I'll raise both hands because I love stuff. I, I, I love my big screen TV, 55 inches. I'm not giving that up, you know. 
till I have to. I mean, I, 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 lo- I love stuff. I, I, I love my air conditioning in the summertime. I love my car. love to drive my car. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with loving your car. There's nothing wrong with loving stuff. We all like stuff. That's just a part of who we are, too. That's our, our natural nature. And there's nothing wrong or evil with being rich any more than there's anything good about being poor. It's about how you're using that stuff that makes it good or bad. We have shopping addicts and material girls and guys, and the national pastime today in America is no longer baseball. It's going to the mall. And teenagers spend their time in the mall. That's the national pastime. And they're just learning all this stuff and learning how in this materialistic society, greed is encouraged. And all these commercials and everything say, you deserve this, and you can have this, and, and we'll stretch it out to 35 years, you know, uh, and you, you won't have to pay for it till then. Uh, but greed is encouraged, and money is worship, and that makes all of us susceptible to the three great temptations of the enemy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's where, they, that's where we fall flat. And we miss out on what we need to be doing. There, uh, there are at least three types of people, I would say, in this room right now. There are the takers. These are the greedy people. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it if I get the chance. And then there are the keepers. These are the hoarders. What is mine is mine, and I'll keep it forever. I mean, how many of, you, how many of us have clothes in our closet that we haven't worn in five years? I mean, we have it there. Do you know there's a homeless man who's got a hole in his shoes, and he'd love to have those, those shoes you haven't worn in five years? And your size is exactly his size, and God wants you to share that? But in a materialistic society, we just hoard. We build bigger closets. We've got, we've got storage spaces all up and down the road everywhere you look now because we've got so much stuff we can't hold it on, on our property. We've got to go out and buy and lock it up over there until about two years later we come back and get it and then throw it away. <laughs> and then there are the givers. Well, the hoarders anyway. They say what is mine is mine and I'll keep it. And the givers, the godly people, says what is mine is yours whenever you need it. And so, as a Christian, we've been given so much. You know what the abundant life, you know what abundance means? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what what he meant by abundant? More than you need. More than you need. You have more than you need. God not only blesses you with, with what you need for you and your family, but God's promised that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then he's going to bless you with an abundant life that's going to be more than you need. Well, why would he give you more than you need? So you can store it away? So you can, you can hoard it somewhere? Uh-uh. No. He gives you more than you, you, you need so you can help those people who do have needs. Your abundance is for you to take care of your own. Sure, sure. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Uh, you know, have some insurance. Have some savings and, and all the rest of that. But out of all that excess that you have, also find some money that you can give to help those who are in need. You can, you can put a $20 bill, one of the best things you can do, I think, for you. Put a $20 bill in your billfold every week. And as you go around, ask God to show you somebody who needs that $20 bill. 
And as you're going around looking, what are you thinking? I'm going to give something. I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this. Who do I give this to this week, Lord? And so when you get there, then you, you prayed about it. You put that money in your billfold, and you find a waiter. You find a waitress. You find somebody standing at the grocery, at the dollar store, you know, or, or at the, the, the grocery store. And, and they don't have enough money to pay for the groceries in their bag, so they're embarrassed. And they're picking up, taking back, and saying, now, now is it okay? No, you need something more. And they're doing that. And you can go up and say, here, let me take care of that. And they say, well, why would you do that? Because that, and I, I, I say, because that's what Jesus would do if he were here. And you are training yourself to be a generous person because it's not natural for you. It's not natural for you to go the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, is it? Not for me. It's not natural for you. It is supernatural. And God wants to teach you how to be generous. And when you want to learn how to be generous, he will bring people in front of you over and over and over and over again. And, and you'll be his instrument of love to be able to demonstrate his love to those people that are around you. What kind of person are you? Are you a taker? Are you a keeper? Satan wants to turn all of us into takers and keepers. You know why? Because that's the opposite of who God is. And if he turns you into a taker or a keeper, then you're not going to have much of a witness to people around you. Okay, you go to church, and okay, you, uh, you don't hurt anybody else, but uh, who are you helping? Don't tell me what you're not doing. Tell me what you are doing to help other people in the process. Satan wants to turn all of us into takers and keepers because that's the opposite of who God is. Now, you may not think of yourself as a taker. You may not think of yourself as a keeper or a, or a giver even, but Walmart does. And, and every other business in town, they see you that way. That's why they call you a consumer. No, they don't call you givers. They call you consumers. And the more you get, the more you want. You fill up your carts and, and you fill up your stores and, and, and you fill up your car and you fill up your closets and, and then you fill up your garage and it goes on and on and on and on. You might be a consumer if you spend more than you make. You might be a consumer if you don't know you're spending more than you make. You might be a consumer if you don't care that you're spending more than you make. You might be a consumer if you owe more on your car than it's worth. You know, I'd say owe me or amen, whichever comes up on this for you. You may be a, a consumer if you don't know how much you owe on your car. You might be a consumer if you are paying only the minimum payment on your credit card. See some people squirming out here now, you know. That, right? You might be a consumer if you think paying the minimum payment on your credit card is good financial planning. You might be a consumer if you don't know how much you owe on your credit cards. You might be a consumer if you make a financial decision and you don't want your spouse to find out about it. And you might be a consumer if you have a financial dream, but not a financial plan. America is one of the richest nations in the world the world has ever seen. We are, you and I live better than the kings of England lived 150 years ago. 
We had things they, they could only dream about having. If your annual income, your annual family income is $75,000 a year, you are one of the wealthiest people, listen to me, in the world. In the world. $75,000 makes you a, one of the world's wealthiest people uh, around. And I can hear some of you saying, well, if I made that much, I, I wouldn't be in this financial bind I'm in, but I only make $40,000 a year. And I tell you, there's someone else listening to me right now who would say, if I just had your $40,000 a year, I wouldn't have any financial problems. See, a consumer is simply someone who is living under the artificial pressure, the lie of the devil, that your happiness can only be found in getting more stuff and more money. You know how much money you really need to be happy? A little more than you have. Yeah, a little more than you have. You know what the wealthy people in the world are doing today with all their money? Trying to make more. Because you never have enough to make you happy for very long. You've fallen for the lie that you must be a taker or a keeper to be rich and happy. You've created a lifestyle of consuming, and that's why you're struggling financially. You know, you're buying things that you don't want to be able to impress people that you don't even like. It doesn't work that way, folks. You've created that lifestyle of struggling Financially, you wouldn't have to struggle if you could break free from that lifestyle of being a taker and a keeper and consuming all that you get. You don't have an income problem is what I'm saying. You have a spending problem. The average person in America is living on 110% of their, their average income. 110% of their salary. Uh, and, and they end up running out of money before they run out of month. And some of you can remember this. I remember it. When you made $25,000 and you devoured every penny of it. You spent everything and then went out and bought a new car or something like that. I mean, you, you just because you went in debt and you could afford to add a little bit more. And then you got up to $35,000 and guess what you did with that? You devoured that. And now today you're up maybe to $50,000 and you know what you're doing? You're devouring that and you're still spending 110% of your income. Why? Because you have fallen for the lie of the devil that having stuff and having money and keeping that is going to make you happy. And it's a lie. It never will. Because everything you have, eventually you're going to have to let go of. Jesus didn't try to get money from, from people. He tried to keep money from getting people. In our materialistic world, we think our net worth determines our self-worth. That's another lie. How much you have in the bank doesn't mean anything about how much you're worth to God. You see, money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy sex, but it can't buy love. Money can buy a good life, but it can't buy eternal life. And money can buy you gold, 
but it can't buy you God. Materialism is simply that driving desire for more of everything, and that's when our stuff starts taking precedence over our spiritual values. And when that happens, we lose our our perspective and we lose our desire to be generous and give to those who are less fortunate than we are. And that's how we turn into takers and keepers instead of givers. Number four, generosity gives you more than you need. It'll give you more than you need. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Fifty years ago, Becky and I sat down at our new mortgage dream home. We were about 25 years old. We had, we had a, a dream home at the time we were 25. We never dreamed we'd have anything like that, and we did. And uh, we took our three preschool children kids that we had at that time we put them upstairs in the bedroom we went back down to the dining room and and we got a pencil and paper out and we started talking because we both felt that God was leading us to start tithing and so with that paper and pencil we started writing down our our bills we started writing down the income and then we subtracted one from the other and we said well it's a good thought but we can't do it didn't add up for us yeah, that's not quite the way it ended. We looked at it and we agreed. We can't do it. But we also had that desire burning in each of us that said, we have to do it because it's the right thing to do. And we started from there. And we started tithing from there. Now, we have been taught and told, and as I'm going to say in a little bit, that uh, if you give to God, God's going to turn back and he's going to give everything to you. All right, so we started tithing that night. Two years later, my salary went from where it was to zero because God called me into the ministry, and I quit that job. And I packed up my preschool kids, and I packed up my wife and a U-Haul truck, and I moved to Nashville because God had called me into the ministry. And for the only time in my life since I was 17 in high school, I did not have a job. I was going full-time, and the only reason I could go to school was I had gotten a basketball scholarship at Belmont, and I'm going to that, doing all those kind of things, and I don't even have a job. My wife has to work for the only time since, uh, uh, since we got married, uh, we had our first baby. Uh, she worked in a, in a, as a church secretary there near Belmont, at Belmont Heights Baptist Church, making almost nothing, almost nothing. And that's how we lived for that time. So, all right, Lord, we're going to be faithful to you. We're going to give, and we sacrificed, and we gave, and God rewarded us by taking everything we had almost away from us. And we got a church three months later after after I started to college. We got a, a church, my first church, had 32 people in it, and they paid me a great salary, though, and I was thrilled to have it, $60 a week. And every week... We'd take $6, and we would give that to the church because we'd made a commitment. We were going to do what we knew that we were supposed to be doing in that process. It took us nine years in our ministry just to get back to even on the income level where we were when we were called into the ministry. Nine years just to get back even with everything. 
We never had much, but we always had enough. We went, we went five years during that time frame when I was in college and seminary where we had no medical insurance at all. Life insurance, we didn't even think about that, you know. Uh, but we, we had, had no medical insurance. Three preschool kids running all over the countryside, chasing pigs and everything else in the little town we lived in and all that. Uh, and, I, and we never had a medical bill. I know the kids tried to lie and say they were sick sometimes, but we knew they were they're just making it up. And I have never figured out how they made themselves throw up, but they did from time to time. They were, they're, they're real, real creative. No, what I'm saying is like Paul, I, 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 know, I know what it's like to live with nothing. And I know what it's like to, to prosper in life. And I know that Malachi 3.10 gave a promise. We are commanded to, to tithe, and the Lord gives us that promise if we will. He says, test me. God, the, the God of the universe says you have the right to put God to the test. And, and that's what we had done is put God to the test back then. He said, test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. We have to get a storage bin to be able to hold it, he's telling us. I can testify to the truth of that promise from God today. Can you? Anybody else here? Hold up your hand. Can you testify to that, that, that you cannot outgive God? If you haven't learned that lesson, friends, then you need to put God to the test. As it was with me, it wasn't, it wasn't two years later that I started seeing all this stuff, but eventually, guess what happened? More than I ever dreamed possible in my life. Here's something you need to understand about stewardship. Tithing is a matter of giving, yes, but it is also a matter of receiving. The only ones who can give are those who have something to give. And the reason why they have something to give is because they have received. And so God blesses us so that we can give. And as long as we keep giving, then we keep receiving. And when God gives more, then we can give more. And as long as we keep that flow running that God gives, and then as I receive, then I give. As long as I keep that going, it's okay. But if I say, wait a minute, I like what I've got. Let's, let's keep some of this. And guess what happens? Supply is blocked. Because I think the way to get rich is to take and hoard and keep. And that blocks us from the flow of God's giving so we can't receive what we need to receive. God will always give to giving people. So what are you doing with what you've been given? This tithing stuff, the stewardship stuff, giving, being generous, it's not about money. It has almost nothing to do with money. It's about reaching people with the gospel. It's about reaching people with the gospel. It's about ministering to people. That's what money is all about. It's a tool. It's, it's a tool. It's not good or bad. It's like a gun. A gun's not good. A gun's not bad. It depends on how you use it. Money's not good. Money's not bad. It's neutral. It's just dependent upon how you use it that makes it whatever it, you, you want it to be. A church... 
when you give your money to a church, a, a good church like Foothills turns your money into saved people, in, into healed marriages, into prodigals being brought home. Let me tell you about a boy. I'll, I'll call him Lee. His family life wasn't very good. He never went to church. He lived in uh, 22 houses and went to 12 schools before he dropped out at 17 and joined the Marines. Never graduated from high school, and nobody in his family ever graduated from high school. At the age of 15, he would often go down to a Baptist church near his house to get away from all the problems at home, and he liked to shoot baskets and play a little basketball. Nobody paid much attention to him there. You see, he wasn't much of an athlete. So no one asked him to be on the church team. No pastor ever invited him to come in, be a part of the youth group, so he never got inside the church. No member of the church kind of reached out to, to mentor him or help him in any way to get him through the turmoil of his critical teenage years. So instead of someone introducing him to the Bible, someone introduced him to communism. And he started studying communism. He even took a trip to Russia. And one day in his twisted mind, Lee took his rifle to the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building. He pulled the trigger and he changed your world forever. You know he was Lee Harvey Oswald. I've often thought after reading about his story, what if a member of that Baptist church had given their time to take an interest in that 15-year-old boy? What if some staff member had just been out there playing and kind of struck up a conversation and, and you know, how things going for you, Lee, and, and he'd been able to open up and he, if he had found a friend who would have shared some, some of God's word with him? Uh, what, if, what if someone would have said, hey, why don't you join our basketball team? You know, I know you think you can't play with them, but you can practice with them and, and, and it'll help you get better. One anonymous Christian, one anonymous Christian, young, old, male, female, doesn't matter. One anonymous Christian could have changed the world if he or she had just witnessed to that boy. Taking time to be generous with their time and their effort and, and whatever they could possibly pour into his life. How much pain and suffering in this world could have been avoided if just one Christian had reached out to Lee? And let me tell you about another boy, similar circumstances as Lee. This boy never went to church either. He lived in 15 rented houses and attended 10 different schools in his career. As a 15-year-old boy, he said he felt like more, more like a referee than a son for his parents. Nobody in his family had ever graduated from high school. But when he was 16, a man had taken him fishing. Said, you want to run? Do you want to go fishing with him? They had a softball team, and they asked him if he wanted to play on it, and he did. And one day, a man in that church asked him if he wanted to be saved, and he said he did. He did. 
And when he was 20, 26 years old, God called him into the ministry, and he became a pastor. That man's name that helped transform that boy's life was Ralph Davis. You don't know him. But you know that boy. I'm that boy he took fishing. I'm that boy he invited to his church. And without his witness, I would never have gone to that church. It was on the south side of town. I lived on the west side of town. I didn't drive. And if I had gone to that church, I might not have been saved in 1959. And I wouldn't have become the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in 1988. And I wouldn't have been given the vision to plant Foothills Church in 2009. And none of us would be here today in this place. And some of you wouldn't be saved today. And some of the marriages here might be divorced today. All because of a man named Ralph Davis that you don't even know. A man who was generous with his time, generous with his gifts, and generous with his love. He was a generous giver, and God used him to change a teenage boy's life. How many boys or girls or men or women are in the shadow of this church today? And the circumstances are different than those two boys, but they're struggling just the same. And there is somebody in this church that if you became a generous giver, you could be a part of transforming that person's life and how many thousands of other people as a result of what you did. How many people, how many marriages are struggling around this church? How many, how many people uh, are driving by this church daily, hurting and aching and wondering, could I be a part of that? Is that what I need? And I, I'll guarantee you, people are asking that every time they pass by the church. We had people at Grace, uh, and, and they, would, they would come in and say, I just drove by here, and God told me to turn into this place. So when you give your money to the church, it's not about buildings and it's not about programs and it's not about any expenses. It's about ministry where you, reach, where you can reach out to people and you can change lives, transform lives, transform families, heal marriages and see prodigals come home. It's about people. Because if you and I aren't generous people, and if we don't give to reach the others and take the gospel around the world, who's going to do it? We're the ones who have been commanded by God to do it. Their future can be dependent upon your generosity 
And that's why I'm asking you to examine your heart today. Be honest with yourself and answer this basic question in your life. It, it'll, the answer and your response can transform your life and many, many, many others. Are you a generous person? If not, would you make your commitment to start being that generous person and let God be you, use you to be his instrument to transform the lives of other people? Because God's going to bring them in front of you. You pass them every day, I promise you. You just have to be, you, you have to make the effort to be looking for them and God will reveal them to you. Are you a generous person? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be able to share your word. It's a word I haven't really spoken much on, but uh, I, I've learned so much just from some spending time uh, researching and looking into it. And Lord, I, I never realized how, how much generosity was a part of who we are. And what we need as individuals and families and churches. Lord, I pray today that this will be one of those lessons that will stick. So many things we forget before we ever reach the parking lot. But I pray today that you will use the Holy Spirit to, to plant these words and these, this, the thought that they need into their minds so that they might become the person that you want them to be, the generous giver of their time, their talents, their gifts as well as their finances so that that amazing vision that you have given to the pastors and, and to the people and the members here at, Gra at, at not Grace, but the, the members here at Foothills that are tied to Grace. Lord, I pray that you will give them that vision and they'll follow it and they'll become generous people as they continue to serve you and continue the, whatever that wherever that vision takes them, that they'll be found faithful and they'll be able to hear you say, well done, you generous people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.